Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning. And I want you to turn to Psalm 24. I know that may surprise some of you, but I felt God leading us in a little bit different direction today. I recognize that many of our thoughts this week are centered upon a difficult, even contentious vote. Some of us have been praying, some of us have been thinking about it, and now we've come to that time. But I want to assure you, I want to lay a little bit of your fears this morning. I want you to know that I have told Ben that he could not refer to his old nature of Southern Miss, and he has to appeal to the new nature of Louisiana Tech. You didn't think I was talking about that vote, did you? It's tough and contentious when you think a Louisiana Tech congregation is voting on a Southern Miss boy. But he is from Mississippi. There's got to be something good somewhere along the way. Seriously. This morning, we do recognize that we're at a very pivotal time in our history. We're at a pivotal time in the decisions that we make as a people. And over the last few months, and it has been months, and it has felt like years, has it not? We have been going through all kinds of emotions, even turmoil itself in our nation. And as we approach Tuesday in particular, God kept bringing my heart back to the truth of Scripture. He kept bringing my vision back to the King of glory. In Psalm 24, I am reminded, I am encouraged, I am challenged by what I know is the king who reigns above everything else. And I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you today. I want you to look at this scripture with me and I pray that God would just take it and he would use it even as we approach these days to come. King David writes, and this is what he says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. I tell you, in the days when our thoughts and even our perceptions are dominated by all the things that are going on in this world, it is encouraging and it is challenging challenging to me to know that our God reigns, that he is the king of glory. Now, I want you to think, in this context itself. King David writes this. 
And according to most individuals, as they look at the setting of this psalm, they believe that this is when King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom up to Jerusalem. So it's a great moment of celebration as God's presence literally enters into the city of Jerusalem. And David is excited. He is rejoicing. He is giving thanks to God. He recognizes for his own kingship, this is a significant moment. Now let's take a little stroll down memory lane if we could for a moment. Let, let, let's be reminded of how we got to this point of King David bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. You'll remember in Israelite history that basically God himself had established a theocracy. That is that God was in charge. And individuals, particularly like Samuel, would hear from God. He would communicate God's message to the people. And the people were expected to respond. And that's the way God had set up the nation of Israel. But we know the people of Israel were not always happy with that. It's hard for us to fathom, right? I mean, to think you have somebody that you know is connected to God, hears what God says, and speaks to you on God's behalf. To us, that, that would seem like a great arrangement. That would be a great way to respond, a great, a great way to walk before God. But the people of God, the Israelites, they were not happy with this situation. Do you remember as they come to Samuel, they say to Samuel, Now Samuel, we, we see all the other nations around us. We, we see all the other governments around us. We see that everybody else, they have a king. And, and we'd like to have a king. We'd like to be like them. We'd like to be like everybody else. You didn't realize peer pressure existed back in the Old Testament, did you? Even on the national scene. But they said, we, we, want to be like, we want to be like everybody else. Just give us a king. And God spoke to Samuel. And he said, Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. They've rejected my direct rule over them. But because they've asked, I will give them what they want. Now, let me say to you, we must be very careful in what we ask because sometimes God gives us what we want. And God gave them what they wanted. And they got Saul. You remember the picture that is painted of King Saul? I mean, he is the man's man. He is the warrior. He is the king. I mean, the scripture says that he is head and shoulders taller than anybody else. I remember growing up, in that little Southern Baptist church up in North Mississippi and my youth Sunday school teacher, I was in his class. Obviously, we just had like one youth class, okay? So it was in there like six years probably or so. And it seemed like every Sunday he would talk about Saul. And he would talk about how he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, one day I can be Saul. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but... I know we live in a country where you can say you can be anything you want to be. No, you can't, okay? <laughs> you really cannot. No. But he would talk about, and I mean, Saul was this great physical specimen. He fit all the qualifications of the people. He was exactly what they wanted. And he would lead them into battle. But if you read the history of Israel, 
you will see that Saul's rule was filled with disappointment and disobedience. You will see that he was rejected by God because of his impatient disobedience and because of his incomplete obedience. If you look back at the stories, you'll see where Saul failed in at least two different occasions. And God said, that's it. I've had enough. But God still had a purpose, didn't he? God still loved his people. God still cared for his people. And even though Samuel was weeping and grieving over the rejection of Saul, God spoke to Samuel and he said, you go down to Bethlehem. I want you to go down to that little hamlet because there I have chosen the next king. And you, you'll remember the story. I mean, everybody almost has heard this story. Those who have grown up in the churches, you know that Samuel goes down and the sons pass before Samuel. Samuel had even thought he had found the king in the first pass. But God had said something to Samuel like this. You know, whereas you look at the outward appearance, I, God, I look at the inward appearance. I look at the heart of the person. And Samuel said, certainly there must be another king somewhere along here, another son. And they go to get David, who's out tending the flocks, a young boy, bring him in. And there in that moment, he is anointed. But remember, he doesn't begin his kingship just like this, does he? As a matter of fact, he goes back to the sheep. I love the way God speaks and then he trains his people. And David just goes back to the sheep and he learns leadership out in the flocks. And then, of course, we know. We know how David experiences victory over Goliath. But we also know how he runs from the man he loves, the king of Israel. How he has to flee from Saul himself. And he has to learn respect. He has to learn to look at God's anointed in a different way. He goes through all those moments of his life until God finally brings the reign of Saul to an end. It's a tragic end, but he brings it to an end. And then, according to what the scripture says, the nation is divided for some time. King David down in Hebron reigning for seven and a half years until the nation is finally united under his reign. And as Jerusalem becomes the capital of this nation. And I love that story. Remember, David, as he is consolidating his reign, as he is looking to God and God directs him there to Jerusalem, you remember, they go to this city of the Jebusites and they, he says to them, how can, we, how can we take this city? What can we do? The one person who is able to take this city will become the commander of my army. It's a great story. Nobody can penetrate the walls of Jerusalem during that time. So what do they do? They go through the Gion Springs, a little water source that comes under the city, and they find this shaft. If you ever go to Israel, you going to Israel sometime with me? No, some of you are like, uh. Yeah, you are. You're going to go because if you go over there right now, you can go down into this tunnel and you can see the same shaft. It's called Warren Shaft today that... Old Joab crawled up with the army to take the city. It's amazing. 
I tell you all that to tell you, these are all the things David had experienced in becoming the king of Israel. And now in this moment, not only is he the king, but he has gone down to get the Ark of the Covenant and he brings it up. And the Ark of the Covenant is certainly synonymous with the presence of God. So here's David. David is enjoying being king, but now he enjoys knowing that God has placed him in this city, the city of God, which also referred to as the city of David, with God's presence, the Ark there at the tabernacle. I give you all that to let you know that David understands what it's like to become king. He understands what kingship involves. He understands leadership. He has gone through all these different years and these different circumstances. But now he is there in that place. And what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't marvel over his own self-efforts. But rather... He recognizes that there is a king above him and above everyone else, above all rulers. Listen again to what he says. In these first couple of verses, he, he recognizes how the Lord has brought forth the very creation itself, that the king of glory is the king who is created and the king over all of creation. Listen to what he says. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. In the original Hebrew, the first word of this psalm is Lord. The first word. I mean, it, it is set off in the primary place in the whole text is that the Lord. And notice that when you read through this passage, you will see Lord in all caps, right? Now, I know some of you get tired of me saying this. I do it a lot on Wednesday night. But I recognize that there are people here with us that may not have ever heard this. And I want them to see it for themselves because when you look at the Old Testament... And you see the word LORD in all caps like that? It means that it is the holy name of God. It is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. So listen to what David says. David says, our Lord, the covenant God of Israel, God that we serve, He is the one. He is the one that created. He is the one that has distinct claim over all of creation. In verse 2, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. That should bring you back to the idea of Genesis 1-9. You know I'd take you back to Genesis, right? Can't get it off my mind the last few weeks. But it takes you back to Genesis 1-9 and the creative work of God. The king of glory is the one who created all. And because he is the creator, he has distinct claim over all. Of creation so here's David yes he understands the nation of Israel he has come to leadership in Israel but he confesses before everyone else that God is not just the God of Israel God is not just over the land of the Israelites this God that we serve is the God over all and we need to understand today that our God that we serve he is not contained to a certain locality now, I am grateful that we have the heritage we do here. I'm grateful that we have individuals in our community and beyond in this area in particular that seek the Lord still and seek His Scripture. I'm thankful for that. This morning, Leslie and I and the kids, we were trying to get here, and we were a little early. 
That extra hour helps, okay? Can we do that every week? And just, we just kind of, but, but, it, but it was good. And we, we were getting out early and we had to go by. We had some of the shoebox stuff we still had not gotten. So we went by Walgreens to get a few things before we got here. Leslie ran in and I sat there with the kids and I was watching, I was watching that street in front of me there, 167. And you would just see people, you would see people heading to church. You knew they were, they had their ties on and their coats and I looked, told one of the kids, I said, look at that lady. They were stopped at the stop line, right? And they were like, what is it? She's putting on her earrings. She's getting them ready. She's going to look good for church. It was cool. I, I thought to myself, I'm going to start getting up early and go sit at Walgreens and watch people pass. It's kind of cool. But I knew all those people going, I, I, told, I told the kids, I said, do you know how blessed we are because people here still want to go to church? I said, it's, it's pretty cool. It's not like this all places. I love this place. I love that we, as God's people, not, not to say we don't have difficulties, not to say they aren't unbelievers. They are all around us. But what I'm saying to you is I am thankful we still live in a culture where we are in Ruston and beyond that recognizes that there's a God. But would you hear this this morning? The God we serve is not just the God of Ruston. Even though we, we think sometimes we've got, we've got the market cornered, don't we? <laughs> It's, he's not just the God of Ruston. He's not just the God of the South. He is the God of the nation, and he is the God of the nations. We need to recognize that, that he is the God of North America. He is the God of Europe. He is the God of the Middle East. He is the one true God. And David here says, I recognize that the king of glory, that he is the one that created all, and he is the one that is over all. And because of that, because of that, he has claim over our lives. And because of that, he expects us to act responsibly. He calls us to come before him and for us to conduct ourselves with integrity and life. Listen to what David says. They're marching up, taking the Ark of the Covenant to the tabernacle here in Jerusalem. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who, who's going to go? Who is going to be able to come before the presence of God here on Mount Zion, he says? Or who may stand in his holy place? And then David, he answers that question. He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of this salvation. He says, we are to come before him with clean, holy hands and a pure heart. If we're going to worship this God, if we're going to come before his presence, we've got to come with such integrity in our lives. You see, he is the creator. He is the king above all. Because he is, he has the claim over your life. He has the right to direct you and to direct me. And he alone, he alone can hold us accountable in such a way and call us to purity in our lives. Folks, I know that we are rightfully focused on the national leadership that we're about to elect. 
But I want you to know today that God is calling His people. God is speaking to His church that we would wake up and that we ourselves would walk with integrity, that we would lift up holy hands before Him and pure hearts, that it begins with us. If we are to see revival, it would not come through an election. It will come through the people of God turning back to Him once again and calling out and confessing our sins, repenting of our sins, and seeing God do a new work in our hearts and lives. The only way we can approach Him. Over the last several months, as I've stated, we have evaluated candidate after candidate after candidate. And the news cycle constantly is upon the evaluation of the candidates, their personality, their strengths, their weaknesses. I mean, we have heard it all. But I pray we would stop this day and we would evaluate ourselves. I have often said that we should never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. Why? Because they do not have the Holy Spirit of God living within them. Now, I'm not making any... Some of you go out, he said that this one was un. That's not what I said. I'm just saying to you that we should not expect unbelievers to act like believers. But listen, we should expect believers to act like believers. And if you're a person of Christ, then God has called you to act with integrity. And that's what he says. Before you come before the presence of God, before you come before the King of glory, you need to recognize in your own heart, in your own life, those things that are right and affirm those things in your life. I, I believe that no matter what happens Tuesday, God still calls us to obedience. The one who sits in the White House does not dictate my obedience. The King of Glory does. And no matter what happens, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must stand and must act obediently, demonstrate honesty and integrity, not give in to the idols of our culture. And so many people are doing that now. All you got to do is just read, uh, read the social media, read the newspapers. You'll see those who proclaim Christ who are constantly moving away from the truth. But as one seminary professor at Southern reminded us this week, John said that they went out from us because they were not of us. Everyone who carries the pretense of Christianity, everyone who carries the pretense does not know the King of glory. Some of you will go away and say, oh... He's already called every candidate an unbeliever. And now he's judged everybody else that's. The scripture says that there are those who come among us. Who go out from us to reject the truth. In essence, they never knew the truth. Or if the truth had been known in their lives, it would have gripped them. The Holy Spirit would have worked. We are called to demonstrate integrity in our own lives. 
And yes, allow that to permeate the culture and society. We're, we're to allow that to happen. Yes, private faith, there is no such. Yes, God deals with us intimately. And yes, God speaks to us privately. Yes, I agree with those things. But God also calls us to live publicly our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. Chuck Colson said years ago, this is how Christianity is meant to function in society. Not just as a private faith, but as a creative force in the culture. The inner life of faith must shape our actions out in the world. In every choice and decision we make, we either help to overcome the forces of barbarism, whether medieval or modern, or we acquiesce to those forces. We either help build a life-giving, peace-loving ethos, or we fan the flames of egoism and destruction. It is important that we live lives of faith in who we are in our inward lives, but also in our outward lives. And then I want to complete maybe this reflection on Psalm 24 this morning by looking at verses 7 through 10, just quickly. Because there David poses these, you might call them rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions aren't really supposed to be answered, but David can't help himself. He's kind of like the preacher, you know, that gets kind of wound up and he just can't help himself just to answer those rhetorical questions. He says, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, all caps again, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So here's David. He's finally consolidated this national reign there in Israel. Jerusalem is now the capital. The presence of God has been brought up as the Ark of the Covenant. He's the king. Well, what does he say? What does he do on this day? He recognizes the reign of God. He said, who is the true king of glory? It's not this man that's standing before you. Who is the true king of glory? It is the Lord of hosts. I've heard a lot of people say this, and you've heard it. I've probably mentioned it. Something to the effect that when Tuesday comes, we have our elections, Wednesday rolls around, we will still have a king on the throne. Wednesday will, guess what? Wednesday, God will still be on the throne. You don't have to call an election for that. He is the king for all eternity. We've said that. We've seen billboards that mention that. But how does that play in our lives? Because, see, I think it's more than just a statement we make. I believe when we recognize that he is the king of glory, that he's overall, that it impacts us practically. In what way? Well, I think you would survey the Old Testament and the New Testament again. And, and you would note that the king of glory, that he is sovereign over every other leader. He is the one who reigns over every earthly king, president, prime minister, whoever it is, he is the one who reigns. 
Look at the Old Testament and New Testament again. You remember a guy named, that, well, that we call Pharaoh? Pharaoh, who thought he could come against the people of Israel. He had seen them in bondage for so long, perhaps he had forgotten the power of their God. And he was stubborn, and he refused. But the God of Israel, this same Lord, all caps, Lord, is the one who demonstrated not only his power, but his redemption of the people of Israel. And God showed in that way that he was the supreme ruler, not just of the land of Israel, but he was the supreme ruler over the land of Egypt as well. Plague after plague demonstrated that. So God demonstrated his sovereignty. We could ask a guy named Cyrus. You remember the Medo-Persian king, Cyrus? He came in and defeated the Babylonian empire. And what did he do? He granted freedom to the people of Israel. And I love this part of it. As he allowed them to return... He gave them resources for the return. I love that. Because it shows that our God can take a pagan king, work in his heart, and the scripture does say stirred in his spirit in such a way that he affected the release of the people of Israel and he gave them the resources to, for the return. I hate to tell you, but I almost have a charismatic moment thinking about that right there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise be to God. That he can do such things. Ask others like Xerxes or Artaxerxes there in the Old Testament. Hey, how about the New Testament? How about this guy named Caesar Augustus? The irony of this. Caesar Augustus, the supreme Caesar. I mean, he was, as he thought, the greatest ruler that Rome had ever known. And what did God do? God moved upon his heart to issue forth a census so that his son, God's son, Jesus Christ, would be born in Bethlehem in the right time and the right place. Caesar Augustus, I don't think he ever understood, at least while he was on earth, he never understood that divine purpose of a census. But God did. And God was on the throne. And God was ruling. You see, I believe that God is over every ruler. And he can move upon any heart. It does not take away our responsibility. Listen to me. It does not take away our responsibility. I believe we as God's people, we ought to participate in the national thought and national conversation. I believe, at least for me personally, I have to go vote. I believe that. As one of seasoned pastors said to me recently, if the praying people don't vote, who will? I believe in the responsibility we have. But I also believe when it's all said and done that God is on the throne. That he's the king of glory. Psalm 24 was sung throughout church history. It was sung on Ascent Day. Ascent Day. What was that day? It was the day they would celebrate the ascension of Jesus. They would take Psalm 24. 
and they would ask, who is the king of glory? And they would sing it on the day of the ascension or to celebrate the ascension because Jesus Christ had ascended to the right hand of the throne of God because they would recognize that the king of glory, the king of glory is Jesus Christ. And one of these days, the scripture says he's coming back just as he left us. And yes, he is ruling now. He is ruling now. You never forget that. But when he returns, according to what the scripture teaches us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Because my friends, he is the Lord of Lords and he is the King of Kings. Who is the King of glory? It is this one who we serve it is this one who we commit our lives to. It is the one, the only one, that carries the name of salvation, Jesus Christ. Today, during this moment of response and invitation, I want to ask you, whether you're here at the altar, whether you're right where you are, whether you're standing, where you're seated, where you're on your knees, whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to be the generation just as David says here, the generation that would seek God. The generation that would pray today for our nation. The generation that would ask for the holy hands and the pure heart. The generation that would be reminded that he is the king of glory. Would you allow this moment of invitation to be a moment where you seek Him and pray. Again, here at the altar, there where you are, seated, standing, whatever. Let us as God's people seek Him this day on behalf, on behalf of who we are, on behalf of the nation, on behalf of our, the nations themselves, that we would seek Him and we'd recognize Him as the true King of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that you would allow us to respond. God, I pray that in this place we would sense your spirit. We would sense your leading, your guiding. Lord, here today in this place, we would commit our lives afresh and anew to you that no matter what is going on in our culture, that we will remain faithful and true to you. God, I pray right now we would fall on our faces. Again, where we are here at the altar, Lord, we would just find you right now and Lord we would pray to you and seek you and call out in repentance call out in intercession for our brothers and sisters across this nation and across this world because we believe as we cry out to you Lord that you will act and you have the power you have the ability you have the strength to act on behalf of your people. God, help us to be obedient during this moment of response. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?